Thrive with Trevor Huffman, where thriving athletes, parents, and humans come to find their best self. Trevor Huffman is a former 12-year overseas MVP winning, two-time NBA Papa Espresso playing dog dad, European coaching, wanderer of the earth, Thrive kind of guy who was raised in northern Michigan. Hi, this is Mike Cleansing from the Hoopheads Podcast, and we are super excited to welcome Thrive with Trevor Huffman to the Hoopheads Podcast Network. We hope you enjoy this very first episode of Thrive with Trevor Huffman. All right, today we've got to welcome uh, a great friend of mine, John Evans, who's also my first cousin, so it's a, a special guest. Uh, hey, welcome, John. Thank you. Um, we're going to start off with just saying uh, a little, you know, John and I played soccer growing up. Uh, we were huge, same age, same level, same grade. He was much better at soccer than me, but um, he then went on to sports psychology and has helped me a ton throughout my pro playing career. Um, I call him, I talk to him. We talked about everything from goal setting to what to do when you lose confidence, what to do when you're struggling, what to do uh, when you're trying to set new goals and find new challenges for yourself. And I think right now is a great time to kind of have a conversation about that. So I, I really want to let you just kind of introduce yourself and we'll get going and try to help coaches, parents, athletes out there that might have some questions. Great. Thanks, Trev. Uh, all right. Well, I'm John Evans. I work for a, a mental health company called Blend Health. It's B-L-N-D Health. Uh, based out of Ann Arbor, we have offices in Royal Oak and Kalamazoo. Uh, and um, basically, I joined the team to uh, add kind of a performance sports psychology uh, flavor and department to the mental health practice. Um, I went to Kalamazoo College, played four years of soccer there, loved it, was formative time in my life. Uh, couldn't have asked for a better experience. Uh, probably what led me into sports psychology in general. Uh, I went to, I did get, I got my master's in counseling psychology from Western, um, but then really decided that I wanted to work more on strengths with the clients and people I was working with, not on fixing things that were wrong. And so sports psychology really gave me a, an opportunity to do that. So I went down to North Carolina, uh, UNC Greensboro, uh, got my PhD in sport and performance psychology, worked with a lot of athletes at a high level on training mental skills to increase performance. Uh, but also the, the two main things that I focus on are consistency of high performance, because you know I think everybody can have a high performance. I can hit a really good golf shot, but, but like one out of every 50 times. So how do I have consistent performance? Uh, and then how do I also enjoy performance? And that doesn't mean having fun all the time, but it does mean being able to get fulfillment, enjoyment, happiness out of competition, effort, building skills, uh, improving skills, and even failure and mistakes. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, my, my first job right out of my, my doctoral program was with the military. So I trained uh, at Fort Bragg, I, I trained special operations soldiers on those skills. How do I, they think more effectively to perform at a higher level individually and as a team. Um, so that's what I've been doing for about the last seven or eight, nine years. Came back to Michigan, to my home, to my people, uh, and loving living here, loving what I'm doing with the athletes now. And, um, you know, just again, working with athletes, business owners, 
performers of all kinds, theater, music, to enhance consistency of performance and enjoyment. So that's the the short and short of, of what yeah. I'm up to today's So you could help me become a better actor is what I just heard. My improv, I wanted to take improv my whole life, and now I'm like, this is it. You could help. This is your opportunity. I absolutely can help with that. Oh my gosh, I can't remember any lines. And remember when we were kids, we I I really struggled with that. I couldn't remember any of the lines in the play. So they were just like, "You just stand in the corner because you have performance anxiety." You guys well, traumatized the, me. So, so honestly, Trevor, you know that I mean that's a that's actually a very true and very funny story. But you've hit on the crux of what I is the central component of all the work I do is where is your attention and can you control where your attention is. Hmm. Because if, if you can do that, if you could literally push a button at the beginning of a, a basketball game, a tennis match, a soccer game, mm-hmm. and keep your attention purely in the present moment, not think about the last missed free throw, the turnover, the unforced error, the missed pass, and truly just focus on the present moment and what you're doing, I guarantee you would be a better performer more consistently. Because we spend so much time... Um, reliving the past, forecasting terrible futures that that's what ends up getting in our way. Now, are you're a you're a parent. You you and Marlena have a, a wonderful little boy named Jack. Are you going to are you going to Jedi mind trick Jack into staying in the moment like as a parent or a coach? Is that something that you can do as a parent or coach and say, you know, like trigger like a trigger word or you know, I'm just thinking out loud here. What are you know, what are some of the things you will do with your kid? as he gets older? I mean, I think some of it is just, is the language that you use right now. So um, I think there's a value in reflecting and observing what you did in the past Mm -hmm. um, and then moving, truly moving back into the present and focusing on what you're doing right now. So uh, one of the things that we already do with him a lot is acknowledge, like if he gets frustrated building blocks and he starts to fuss, Mm -hmm. like, you know, it's, what we're already doing is saying, look, Jack, you have every right to be frustrated. It's normal to be frustrated. Why, you know, what is making you frustrated and how can we solve this problem and how can you figure out some choices to, to move forward effectively? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, another bit of language that we always use with Jack is not that he's good, bad, smart, stupid, but he's either made good choices. He's making bad choices. Um, how can you make a better choice? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, it, you know, we're focusing on the, the effort, the, the controllable choice, not him as a person. Because right. think about in a basketball game, if you were to say that was a bad shot versus I can't shoot today. How is that going to affect your attitude and effort? Those two, just those slight difference in the way you said that. Right? Yeah. I, I think that that was a bad shot is going to lead to much more effective thinking and, and performance. Mm-hmm. And I can't shoot today is going to lead to a lot worse performance. Yeah. So just that little kind of mm-hmm. change in, in how we say things is huge. So language and how we talk to each other ourselves is, is major. Yeah. And I, I think I read it the other day, a self-limiting belief or a negative thought. We have, we have these thoughts going on through our, throughout our day. Um, how many negative thoughts do you have a day that you, you just kind of let go, just let happen and you don't stop it and turn it around, observe it, you know, uh, and say, well, wait, why I am, I'm, I'm a really great shooter. Every time I practice, I make eight out of 10, nine out of 10. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm putting the work in, I'm, I'm, I'm 
dedicated to my craft of being a basketball player or whatever sport it is, but in, in my case, basketball. So what's one way that you can have uh, parents? I mean, you talked a little about parents, but I'll just talk a little bit about the athlete. Like how could I as an athlete stop those loops, those negative loops from happening even during the day or becoming aware of those and being present with, with that thought and then maybe flipping it around saying, well, no, it's just a bad shot. It's not, I'm a bad shooter or I can become, uh, I can, I can become a all state player if I work hard rather than I'll never be able to do this or, or kind of self-limiting beliefs that we, that we have as, as athletes. First and foremost, the, again, the, the language that we use is like a central to the work that I do. So I don't even use terms like positive and negative thoughts with, with uh, my athletes because that was a bad shot or, hey, get your head out of your butt, butt mm-hmm. is, uh, you know, is, could be a helpful thought. Like it could help you focus. It could give you some instruction on how to change your, your, your shot or your, your swing or whatever sport you're playing. Um, so I look at thoughts as helpful and unhelpful as opposed to positive and negative. Um, that way you're not judging the thought. You're just observing it and saying, all right, is this a thought that I would like to continue to think about because it might help me improve? Or is this a thought that I truly need to separate from in order to uh, not pay attention to it as much? And so Mm -hmm. when we get those really like sticky thoughts that really hook us, like I'm a terrible basketball player today or I suck at tennis, um, you know, we have a skill. It's called diffusion, which basically means like, if this is the thought, I suck at tennis, and this is me and my behavior, then those the thought and your behavior are like this. And wherever that thought goes, your performance goes. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be that way. Right? A thought is just a collection of words that your brain tells you for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. So if you can truly see it that way and separate from that thought, you're still observing the thought, but you don't feel obligated to behave, act, put effort and attitude in a way that reflects that thought. So yes, there are skills. There's an absolute skill to observing a thought and just allowing it to be there or to float on by and move on through. Hey, basketball parents, coaches, and athletes. One of my favorite adapted quotes is, we do not rise to the level of our basketball goals but rather we fall to the level of our basketball training system. Why do I say that? Well, I want to help all your basketball athletes, kids, or players figure out how to chase their basketball dreams in a smart, systematic way. So I'm offering my live online basketball training community today and get a free week of virtual home basketball workouts streamed into your garage, your living room, your basement, your driveway, and you get to work out with the pros. All right, we do this every week, and for the first time, your kids will have direct access to me, sports performance trainers, other pro coaches for as little as $25 a month. If you're interested, please visit trevorhuffman.com or text me, quote, Huffman Club with your full name at 810-771-8622. Again, that's 810-771-8622. What's a good way to practice that that skill? Like, I know making your bed in the morning, good habit to make, brushing your teeth, net, it's a positive or 
helpful habit. My teeth won't rot out. Showering, I won't typically, you know, I'm cleaning, you know, my hygiene is good. Washing um, hands right now. Washing hands. So, I mean, these are all physical skills, but they start with the thought. And I say, okay, do I want my, do I want to merge my behavior with that thought? And you could, you could literally go through your day and write down like what thoughts you have. And do you want to merge with that? Or what habit are you trying to create? Do I want to create a yoga routine or a, a dribbling routine every morning? Or do I like to get on my iPhone? Is that really helping me play Clash of Clans every morning? Which, okay, we, you know, we all, we all have video games. Kids have Fortnite. They have distractions, but so do parents. Mm -hmm. So it's also about what do you, what, what habits do we allow our, you know, us to connect with? And, and, but you're saying we can do that with thoughts. So what, what's a good way to practice being aware of those thoughts so that we can say, wait, I, I don't know if I want this. Uh, so there's like three things in there that I want to hit on. First is let's take a step back and how do you determine whether you want to go toward that thought and act in a way that aligns with that thought or not? Mm -hmm. That's where one of the first steps in any process I do with my clients is a look at what are my core values. So does that thought move me closer to toward or does it does that thought will it lead to an action that's moving me away from those values? Mm -hmm. So if fitness is a value, then I am coming to a choice point every time I have a thought, I want to sit and watch a movie. Do I need to distance myself from that thought and choose to behave in a way that aligns with a value? I don't have to put on a positive thought, right? That doesn't really, I don't find that to be that helpful. Like, no, I love working out. I love going for a five mile run. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it's not genuine. But I can still, I can defuse, I can separate from the thought that I want to sit on the couch because I know that it doesn't align with the value that I'm, that I want to move toward. And I got a question that, okay, we, I mean, we, we haven't really talked about values, but we talked about this. I think as you get older, you start to realize goals don't do a whole lot as, as much as you think. Like as a kid, I would play basketball because a, it felt good. I felt joy when I was playing, even working out by myself, shooting, dribbling, swishing, even if or competing, playing one on one, three on three. That felt good. I felt joy. I knew that feeling. But, you know, it did not feel good to wake up before the sunrise and go shoot with my dad. It did not feel good, uh, you know, to get, you know, to feel that pain and that ang like, oh, I got to get my body moving in the morning. But, you know, as soon as I started playing, I felt good. Yeah. So how do you separate values from, uh, from thoughts? Like, well, how do I know what I value? How, how, would, how does a kid know what he's valued? I, it took me a long time to understand. Now I'm 40. I really understand my values now. But back then I didn't. How do kids understand values? Um, well, I, I think depending on the age, like you said, like if it's 8, 9, 10, 11, even 12, you do. There is a sense that you rely a lot on your parents. And just what your intuition and gut tells you, like you got joy from competing. Yeah. So whether you were able to uh, to overtly or intentionally identify that competitiveness was a, a value of yours, it you felt it in your gut that it was the right. It gave you fulfillment and joy to do that. Mm -hmm. But after that point, like I think that there are a number of ways to do it. I do it a, a, a 
a variety of ways, but going through a values exercise and seeing a whole list of values and going through some questions that, that help you kind of strike through and figure out what are my core five to seven values? Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, that's the process. You have to yeah. be able to, to actually engage in an intentional process to determine those values and then start to align behaviors with, with those values. Yeah. And then as it relates to the goals you were talking about, I think the reason for me that goals by themselves don't work real well is because A, they're inherently in the future. And so they feel out of reach a lot of time. And B, they're ultimately a lot of our goals are not 100% within our control. Right? Mm-hmm. You being first team all state basketball was not within your control. Now you can influence it, mm-hmm. but it's not your decision. You can't make that happen. Winning a national championship, whatever the conference title, like you, those are goals, but we don't control those. Mm-hmm. Right? So if you think about the goal, like the, the analogy I think works really well is if you think about the goal as a destination, let's say our destination goal is San Francisco. We can't control getting there right now, especially with the obstacles we have with the coronavirus. Mm-hmm. But I can walk west right now. I could stand up right now and start walking west. So our values are like our core, our, our cardinal directions, mm-hmm. right? I can do something today that can move me in that direction. Even if I get in my car and drive to Chicago, mm-hmm. I'm, you know, that's a big step, but mm-hmm. I can control potentially doing that. Even if I don't do that, I can walk out this house and, and walk 10 paces to the West. Mm-hmm. And so I can, I can live my values right here, right now that are connected to my goals without having to focus on the goal itself. So would you also then on, on top of that, does identity take time? How do we, how do, how does our, how do values become part of our identity and how do lifestyles become part of our identity? Because I feel like those are, are connected. So I want to walk West. I, I, I want to end up in San Francisco as a goal, a, a lifestyle for, for getting to San Francisco would be, would be what walking West or being fit enough to walk West or, uh, packing food so that you can continue to walk west. So everything in your lifestyle, your values, they all match your your smallest step of the day or, or your your 100 steps going west today. They all help you live that. So if I'm a vegetarian, I go buy vegetables every day. I uh, read uh, vegetable recipes because I can't cook. I really can't. Like I'd love to be a vegetarian, but I literally feel like I would I would die because I can't eat, I can't cook well enough to enjoy vegetables on a it's not enjoyable for me so it's very hard for me to do it because i can't make it a lifestyle so how do you create a lifestyle of values i guess is the the, the my final question well so i think i gotta identify gotta know what they are right mm-hmm. first, first and foremost gotta know what they are like can i can i get to to san francisco traveling east sure i can mm-hmm. but it's gonna take a long <laughs> long time yeah but i know i can't get there going north or south Mm-hmm. So aligning and knowing those values is, is first and foremost. The mm-hmm. second thing is aligning behaviors that specifically and deliberately, you know, are moving you toward those values. Because inherently, when we do things that align with our values, just like you getting up and compete and competing and working out and that giving you joy, living a life and behaving in a way that aligns with our values makes us feel energetic, fulfilled, fulfilled, joyful. Mm-hmm. And when we don't, we end up feeling guilty 
and resentful and regretful and fatigued. Mm-hmm. And so that just is just a feeling that follows us around. I think the, the next step to that process is understanding being present and enjoying as much as you can the process of getting to San Francisco. Mm-hmm. So are you just putting a blindfold on and getting on a Greyhound bus and when you get to San Francisco, wake me up? Mm-hmm. Or are you stopping in Chicago and seeing what that has to offer and what mm-hmm. process and how you can grow and learn and enjoy yourself in Chicago for a while mm-hmm. and make another stop? And how do you really stay present even on those long stretches of highway through Nebraska where there's nothing but cornfields? Mm-hmm. But can you notice the beauty and the and the the and learn uh, and grow from the from the journey? Yeah. So it's not the destination. It's the journey, the process. Yeah, I mean, I'm- it is. I mean, yes, because. Every day, like I can only do what I can do today, Mm -hmm. right? Anxiety, sadness, depression, they live in the past and in the future, right? Anxiety lives in me forecasting terrible futures where I fail at things or whether I don't have things or my health, my job, my my relationships, um, and I have to be able to figure out how to keep my attention and focus in the present so that I can do as much and be present for what's happening right now. Yeah. That's what I, that's the trick. You know, that's what the, the, takes a ton of skill building and effort to do that because we have, we have two selves. We have a thinking self and a note and an observing self. We are really good at thinking like from, from birth, from crawling, we are curious about things. We question things. We ask about things. What does this do, Dad? I mean, Jack is constantly, mm-hmm. you know, why is he doing this? What is that about? What is, how does this work? Uh, so we develop our thinking self very quickly. But we don't do a very good job of just observing and being presently observant of things without thinking about them. Mm-hmm. So even a simple skill like take a walk around your neighborhood and notice things in your environment. Don't think about them. Notice a tree. But what happens when we usually do that? Oh, there's a tree. Whose property is it on? What kind of tree is it? Man, yeah. when those leaves fall, I'm going to have to rake those up. Man, I, that gives a really great shade, though, in the summer. That's me noticing the tree and then going down a rabbit hole of thinking. There is yeah. value in taking those walks, spending those moments, simply observing things and moving on to the next thing and just being observant members of the environment yeah. and not thinking. I think as a, as a, you know, at the end of my pro career, I started observing parts of games. And, and if I, if I wasn't on the court, even like observing a player warm up and, you know, just smiling and being like, you know, he's got a funny warm up or, Oh, look at the, you know, even, even being engaged with the crowd. I know in the beginning of my career, I was never engaged with like, you see a baby walk, you know, somebody brings a baby in this, you know, you got 10,000 people in the crowd and you, and you know, all of a sudden you can notice these little moments happening around you and it's still enjoyable because you're not, I'm, I, you know, at the end of my credit and really I wasn't as, uh, as anxious as I was in the, you know, I could, I was really trying to enjoy the journey because I knew it was like my last few seasons. Um, and I you wanna... were staying anchored in the present. Like you were noticing things happening right now, yeah. not how we got outscored in the third quarter, not how you're shooting 60% from the line. Yeah. Um, but how, like just noticing things in the environment. Yeah, it was so very, going back very to present. Yeah. Like 
it takes way more of your very limited attentional capacity to think about things. It takes way less to just observe and notice things. So the more you can observe and notice, the more attention you have available to you to focus on and think about the things that truly are important in the present. Okay. So I like that. That is the name of the game is gain control of your attentional capacity. Um, Athletes that have performance anxiety. I know I was one of them growing up. Uh, What do you tell those kids that get stuck thinking in the past or, or worrying about the future? Um, what are some what are some things they can do to relieve that anxiety or to um, to face their fears? You know, kind of face, get out of their comfort zone, and and still uh, still grow, still still get, put themselves in positions to grow, even if it's stressful. I know there's kind of like a delicate balance there. Um, talk a little bit about that. Uh, so first and foremost, what I tell my athletes is related to what you just said is two big things. One is you absolutely should feel nervous and anxious before a big game match, whatever, mm-hmm. right? Anybody that has told you like, don't feel anxious, stop being nervous. You know, there's no reason to get angry. Like, forget that. You That's care. crap. That's BS, huh? That's BS. It matters to you. Cause it's emotion. Yeah. I mean, that's like saying, Oh, if you see a bear in the woods, don't react with fear. No, I think I'm going to react with fear because emotions yeah. are there for a reason and we're yeah. supposed well, to feel emotions. Let's talk about that. Why do you feel nerves before a basketball game? Well, nervousness releases cortisol and adrenaline. Mm-hmm. You need both of those things for increased blood flow to your muscles yeah. for shutting down your digestive system, which uses a ton of energy in your body, which you don't need during performance. Mm-hmm. Guess what? That's why athletes go to the bathroom before big games. Mm-hmm. That's your body telling you, I am freeing up as much energy as possible for this performance. So go release everything that you can release. Now that makes, that now. makes a lot more sense. Why I played the way I was, I, cause I was in the bathroom a long time. So yeah, I mean, butterflies <laughs> in the stomach. That's, that's your body telling you you're ready. Mm -hmm. So anxiety nerves is getting your body and your muscles ready for the performance. Unfortunately, most of the time we interpret that as we're not ready. We interpret that as I'm scared. But physiologically, there's zero difference between excited and scared. Mm -hmm. None. Yeah. Everything is happening the same. Everything that's different is right here. Mm -hmm. So are you seeing that match as a challenge or are you seeing it as a a threat? Mm-hmm. So the first thing I tell athletes is you absolutely have every right to and should feel frustrated when you miss a shot. Anxious before when you go in and you've been on the bench for a while. Mm-hmm. You know, nervous when you're serving for match point. Like you should feel that way. Now, what you don't have to do is get wrapped up in that frustration and anxiety and allow it to dominate your attention. Mm-hmm. That's where it becomes toxic. Mm-hmm. So the second thing I tell athletes is all of this is not just a mindset. You just don't like choose to to do it. It's a skill, just like going to the gym. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not going to go to the gym tomorrow, deadlift for 12 hours, and you know my quad, my legs are set. Yeah, <laughs> it just doesn't work that way. Yeah, we all like, wish that that worked that way. Exactly. But it just and mental skills, especially attention skills, just don't work. They work the same way as going to the gym every day. 
you've got it's a skill that is built and mm -hmm. practiced and improved and every single person can do it so the, the the second thing is like look you're not think about every coach or parent that you've interacted with or had that has screamed at their kid or their athlete or maybe you have i know i have yeah. to hey johnny focus right to me that is the same the, the best analogy i have is over the winter my snowblower stopped working and i called my father-in-law who builds car engines and said oh john just change out the spark plug and i'm like that's great advice but i don't have a clue how to do that <laughs> so to me that's the exact same thing as somebody just telling somebody else hey focus concentrate mm -hmm. no it's a skill and you have to build it and work on it every day and it starts with um, some basic attention strategies. I, in fact, I'd like to finish this session with mm -hmm. going through and walking through the foundational attention strategy that I work with every uh, client and athlete on. But it follows up with a a, ver a daily mindfulness practice, uh, which mindfulness has gotten a ton of attention and it's very popular. But when it boils it all down, it's keeping your attention in the present moment recognizing when your attention drifts out of the present moment, noticing what affected you or, or distracted you, and then gently in a kind way, non-judgmental way, bringing your attention back to the present. Even if you have to do that a hundred times, you're doing mindfulness effectively. Mm -hmm. You're lifting also, your legs. Essentially. What? You're lifting your legs. Yeah, like you go into the legs. gym. You're, you're doing that core, whatever that core workout, that basic mm -hmm. workout that, that builds the, the, the most essential muscles, uh, that's what you're doing. So th those are the two things like emotionally, yes, stop trying not to feel angry. Forget about it, that's good luck. Mm -hmm. Like forget about trying to not be anxious, best of luck. Um, the best thing you can do is acknowledge that it's there, allow it to be there and stop struggling with it. Mm -hmm. Because that's how you give it power and potency. But again, that's a, that takes a long time. That's not just a mindset. It's yeah. a set of skills and process that that um, move you slowly in that direction. Especially because as a society, we have continually told people, hey, don't be anxious. Don't be nervous. Don't be mad. Stop being mad. Be happy. I'm like, look, man, I don't want to be happy all the time. In fact... Happy John did not play soccer the best. Yeah. Angry, aggressive John played soccer the best. Mm -hmm. And that became very clear when I started dating my now wife. She said to me after a game, she watched me play, and she was like, I don't even know who that dude was on that soccer field. Because I'm a pretty, I, mean, I think you would agree, I'm a pretty laid back guy. Yeah, yeah. I don't yeah, have I a lot of like, anxiety, no. anger in my life. Um, but on the soccer field, the emotion that, that fueled me, that drove me, that did what I needed to do to play at a high level was more a more aggressive embracing of that emotion than trying to push it away or, or just be calm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, I, it's interesting because I'm trying to think about my emotional state when I would play. Uh, and I think, like you said, it also helped me as a kid to have an older brother and then also have, you know, one of my best, you know, best childhood friends was my challenger. You could say he challenged me every day to be a better basketball player. So if you have a brother, an older brother or somebody around you that you can challenge or that challenges you, that's a little bit better than you. You're constantly 
getting out of that emotional comfort zone because you're going to lose, you're going to fail more, you're you're going to be forced to to grow because you're it's not going to be easy. You're not going to be able to shoot the right-handed layup every time because he's going to block it and that's going to make you frustrated. So then you're going to have to adapt and you're going to have to keep your cool, but you're also going to have to tap into what mindset you're building for you. And I think that's interesting because I know a lot of athletes that if they play angry, they play a lot better. But then you also have the athletes that also lose control or, or they play, they play with that competitive grit and edge. Like, Oh, you're not going to, you're not going to get anything on me. But then if it goes too far, you know, if it turns into anger, like exploding and then they, they lose control of the game, they lose control of the ball. They start turning it over. So there's a, a, a very delicate line between too much and, and too little. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in fact, you could there's the the theory that you're just relating is called eyes off in individual zones of optimal functioning. Mm-hmm. So there's a sense that performance is low when anxiety and energy is low, right? Mm-hmm. Performance starts to increase as a as activation, energy, anxiety, whatever you want to call it, increases, mm-hmm. and then it goes back down. Mm-hmm. But everybody's curve is a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Great examples and if you have to look these uh people up because they're a little older um but it's still a good example roger federer tennis player he is on this side of the curve he is a calm cool as a cucumber every point that he plays you don't know what's going on in his head Mm -hmm. he's he performs at a slightly lower level at least of outward activation Mm -hmm. john stockton would be another example of that yeah yeah. Quiet, cool. Uh-huh. I mean, we don't know what's going on in here, but mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. What they're projecting, how they're you know demonstrating that energy is is what, is what matters. Mm-hmm. Then you have on the tennis wise on the other side, you got John McEnroe. All right, everybody says that he was out of control. I don't believe that for a second. Mm-hmm. I think that his curve was just way over here, where the angrier and more aggressive. Now, don't get me wrong; he definitely lost control and was a a baby yelled at refs and mm-hmm. umpires and things. Not cool. Mm-hmm. But he performed intentionally much better when he was aggravated and and, and animated and angry. Mm-hmm. So that's why I don't p- pin positive and negative on emotions either. And that, just, it's yeah, it's re- that's interesting too because then we, you know, you sometimes you talk about female sports and there's usually like a tough reaction when a female reacts like a McEnroe or has that outward expression. Yeah. Of, and, and Serena. Really, yeah. People have beat Serena up over the last few years for her outbursts and her getting angry and aggressive. Mm-hmm. And as nothing compared to what John McEnroe used to do. Yeah. And I mean, then, look at the women's soccer team. What last World Cup, what they beat uh, Thailand, like what, 14 nothing or something? Mm-hmm. Like, what, what? Do you want them to just dial it back in the World Cup? No, mm-hmm. they're aggressive. Like, that's their style. They're going to play yeah. that way. Yeah. I have no problem with that. Fourteen <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's a John, that's a lot. A did lot. they did they sub everybody out that they could? Yeah. Yeah, they made all their subs. I mean all you right. can only take three. I, so. I have yeah, that's true, soccer. But, but like basketball, you know, I think about guys like Steph Curry, I think about guys like Kevin Durant, LeBron. They always have like that's the one thing about NBA players that I found like when I was with Phoenix Suns, like Stefan Marbury, Amari Stoudemire, Tom Gugliotta, you know, uh, Penny Hardaway, who was like my childhood hero. 
Like these guys ooze confidence. Yeah. Is that is confidence real? I mean, even if they play bad, they still ooze confidence. You know what I mean? And I think a lot of athletes is don't. And even I didn't, you know, if I started to play bad, you know, I was like, oh, shoot, maybe I, you know, uh, uh, I'm going to just try to fit in, like get my rhythm back before I, you know, start to start to uh, uh, put myself out there again, you know, and take more risk. Sometimes, you know, it's like confidence equals higher risk and higher reward. But sometimes when you lose confidence, you're you're less willing to put risk into a game individually because you want to stay on the court. So, but those guys, they like, always that affecting your, your performance. Right. Exactly. It wasn't, it wasn't always good because you just got to keep, you know, you got to, you got to be you, you got to play the way you play. And if you got the shot, you got to take the shot. But like those guys, they, their confidence levels were so high. Thanks for listening to thrive with Trevor Huffman.